Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. As a companion piece to Cold-Blooded, these are just some additional episodes to give you a greater insight into the crimes and lives of Private Carl Halton, alias Ricky Allen, and Elizabeth Baker, alias Georgina Grayson. The regular episodes of Murder Mile return at the end of January, with possibly a little surprise in between. Until then, thank you, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Hey folks, how are you all doing? Oh, I haven't had a cake in between the last recording and this recording, only because I haven't got any cakes left. Although, oh, I've just re- oh, just oh God, what a mistake! What a mistake to maker! I've just, I've just realised that I've got some crunchy bars uh, in my, um, in my bag. Mm, very good, very good, very good. Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Uh, right, let's dive in. So, as we just had in the last one, Carl had made a statement on the 11th of October 1944. It was a three-page statement in which you'll remember that he entirely denied that anything happened. Basically, his whole story was, uh, yes, I'm AWOL. Um, uh, he denies having anything to do with uh, George Heath's car, except the fact that he said, I found it in a car park, um, abandoned car park, like three days after the guy was dead. I didn't know it belonged to him. And basically, his story was, I'm seeing Joyce Cook, a 16-year-old girl. I'm seeing Georgie Grayson, an 18-year-old girl. I'm kind of, you know, uh, check, look me out, check me out. I'm a bit of a wide boy. I'm, I, I'm dating these two women. Aren't I great? That's it. He's not mentioning anything to do with any of the murders. So this is the second statement. By this point, the police have already, um, the police have already been made aware of georgina grayson and i'm not sure yes by the point point they have already interviewed her uh but she's already started she's she started she gave a statement but her statement was quite vague but they've already found um things that will implicate carl already so uh, so this is dated 12th of October 1944. As per usual, it starts with the usual way, saying it's it's uh, they're giving him his rights. Let's just dive into the statement. Uh, yep, my name, rank, army serial number, blah 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 blah. Um, on Tuesday the 3rd of October 1944, I first met Georgina Grayson of uh, 311 King Street, Hammersmith. We met in a cafe on Queen Caroline Street, Hammersmith. I was introduced to her by a civilian known to me as Len Bexley. It was in the evening I arranged to meet her. I do not recall the exact time. 
When I left, I arranged to meet her at 11.30 hours p.m. uh, in front of the cafe. It was late and I missed her. I was driving a two and a half ton U.S. Army truck with six wheels. Um, uh, he gives the uh, the serial number of the truck there and states that it belongs to the 101st Airborne. I'd stolen this truck in Reading on the 28th or the 29th of September. So with these statements, you'll get a lot of repetition from the first statement, but we'll get a lot of changes as well. Um, this This is where things start to change here. So... Um, when I missed Georgina, I drove down King Street looking for her. I met her walking down King Street. I stopped the truck and she got in. We started to go for a ride. During the course of the conversation, she said that she would like to do something exciting, like become a gun mole, like they do back in the States. At first, I thought she was kidding, but she told me that she was serious. I then explained to her uh, that we had stolen... I then explained to her that we had a stolen truck. We drove on to Reading. It must have been late, about one o'clock in the morning on Wednesday morning, when we were coming into a little village near Reading. We passed a girl on a bicycle who was riding in the opposite direction. I went a short distance, turned and turned the truck round. I drove past the girl on the bicycle and stopped the truck. I got out of the truck and stood behind, beside it next to the road. When the girl was on the bicycle when the girl on the bicycle went by I pushed her over. She fell over. She fell off her bicycle and ran away. Uh, see you see how vague he is there. Um I saw her pocketbook hanging out over the handlebars of the bicycle. I took the pocketbook and threw it up to Georgina before I got back into the truck. I did not see the girl who had been on the bicycle again. Don't forget uh, because he's um being held in the police station he's not having an opportunity to talk to georgina so they can't corroborate the story and he doesn't know what she has already told them so he's having to be a little bit cagey at this point Uh, we drove back towards hammersmith while we were driving along georgina searched the pocketbook with her torch i do not recall how much money was in the pocketbook but i think it was five or six shillings there was also some clothing coupons but i don't know how many georgina kept the money and the coupons so that's interesting because she she would later uh, claim that he kept all of those. Um, page two. The next morning, I took the coupons and gave them to Len Bexley, who sold them for me. As I recall, he gave me a pound for them. Georgina kept the money, which was found in the pocketbook. After we got back to Hammersmith, after pushing the girl off the bicycle and taking the pocketbook. I drove to the old Gormont Cinema car park in Sussex Place and parked the truck. We then went back to Georgina's room where we stayed the night. Wednesday night and again I saw Georgina but we didn't go out in the truck. I met Georgina at her room late Thursday afternoon. I do not recall the exact time. We went to a movie. We came out of the movie at about 10pm but I do not recall the time. See, all this is very vague, isn't it? Uh, We had something to eat. How vague is that? And then went down to the car park and got into the truck. We drove out to a pub near Sonning. I told Georgina that I intended to rob this pub, but I do not remember the name. Uh, We drove up in front of the pub and stopped and then drove away. She asked me why I had driven away, and I said that I thought that we were being watched. See, he he can mention that. Because he's A, is being vague, but B, there's nothing illegal about saying, 
oh, do you know, I, I told her that I was going to rob a pub, but then I didn't. It's like, do you know, everyone bullshits. Uh, we drove back to Marble Arch, and when we got there, uh, she suggested that we rob a cab. She pointed one out to me, and I followed it. Don't forget, this is the cab that's leading up to um, uh, Crickerwood and uh, John Strangeway, the taxi driver. We followed it out of Crickerwood. The taxi stopped and remained stopped for about 10 minutes. I stopped the truck about half a block behind it. The truck turned around, and then I turned the truck around and followed it. I drove past the truck and turned in front of it, forcing the driver to stop. I jumped out of the cab and pointed the gun at the driver and said, let me have your money. He told me that he'd just come out and that he didn't have any. I then noticed a man in a brown raincoat in the back seat. Ooh, uh, don't worry, it's not a pervert. Um, I ran back and I got into the truck and drove away. I drove back towards Marble Arch. Uh, I was driving on the Edgeway Road and Georgina said, there is a girl, stop. I had driven past the girl. I backed the truck up to where the girl was. I asked her where she was, sorry, I asked her where she was going and she said that she was going to Paddington to catch a train. She said that she wanted to go to Bristol. I told her that I was going to Reading and that I would take her to Reading to catch the train. She, adri- she agreed. Um, she was carrying a brown suitcase tied, tied with rope. She was carrying the same suitcase which I now see in this office. Um, it, it, it kind of makes sense why Violet, who was the girl, would want to be picked up at that point. Because it's about 2, 2.30 in the morning. There's not going to be trains for a good while. So she's either got a choice. She can either stay in Paddington Station until the morning train, uh, which is not a nice thing to do. Or you can get a lift to um, uh, Reading. Uh, and there may be an earlier train. Or, you know, at least it's something to do. At least you can stay warm for uh, an hour while you're travelling that journey. Um statement continues i put her suitcase in the back of the truck and got in in front of the truck between georgina and myself i uh she said her name was tableau see there's a repetition there uh we drove on towards windsor maybe tableau was her nickname tableau definitely wasn't her, her real name um when we were almost off the road i told the girls that we had a flat tire uh, we all got out i looked at the tire and decided not to change it I drove back onto the road and turned around again and drove off the road and we stopped in about the same place I had before. I told the girls that I... See, I'm wondering if at that point he was just looking around at that location to see if it was remote enough and maybe someone was walking by and he thought, mm, maybe maybe in 10 minutes. We all got out of the truck. I told Georgina to get the girls back to me. She said, all right. Georgina gave the girl a cigarette and lit one for herself. Georgina told me that she thought the girl was uh, wise, uh, i.e. wise to what they were doing. Um, I told Georgina to get back into the truck and see if she could get me some blocks. These are blocks to kind of put underneath the truck so we can prop it up to kind of jack it up in order to uh, change the tyre. When Georgina got into the truck, I hit the girl over the head with the iron bar, which I had taken from the truck. See, that's quite bold there. He's being quite honest about the fact that he he committed this crime. Don't forget, Violet has already given a statement. So they're already aware that some of this has already happened. Uh, The girl did not fall down. I grabbed her around the neck and we went down onto the ground. She fell on the stomach and then I knelt on her back with my left leg on the ground and my right leg in the middle of her back. 
I had her in a headlock uh, on the neck. The girl was waving her right arms around and I told Georgina to hold her arm. Georgina knelt on her right arm and then went through her coat pockets. As I recall, she found about five shillings, which is not a hell of a lot. Uh, By this time, the girl had ceased struggling. I picked up her shoulders and Georgina picked up her feet. We carried her over and dumped her about three feet from the edge of the stream. I threw the iron pipe. I got hiccups. I threw the iron pipe into the stream. Next page. This is a a five pager, so, uh, um, uh, three more to do. Uh, the girl's suitcase and handbag were still in the truck. We drove back to Georgina's house and took the suitcase, the handbag and the blanket from the truck into the house. The suitcase which I took into the house is the same brown suitcase tied with the rope, which I now see in this office. When we got into the house, I noticed that there was blood from the girl on my pink officer's trousers. That's the, um, the first pair, not the second pair that he would later change into. This is the first pair that he would be convicted of, uh, which I was wearing. The next morning, Georgina also noticed that I had blood on the brown leather jacket I was wearing. On Friday, the 6th of October, 1944, I remained in bed until about 3 p.m., I gave Georgina the ticket for the B4 bag, which I had checked into the Metropolitan Tube Station in Hammersmith. She went down and got the bag for me. The bag which she picked up for me is the same bag which I see in this office. It bears the name of Werner J. Meyer. I took a pair of green officer's trousers from this bag and put the bloody pink trousers. uh, Sorry, he says pants. I'm going to say trousers uh, on the bed. Uh, I was going to get rid of them. But she said that she would sponge them out and send them to the cleaners. See, it's interesting there. In her statement, she says he ordered her to get them cleaned. In his statement, he says she volunteered to do it. What was the right way? We don't know. Um, I did not know that she put them in the B4 bag. After I changed clothes, I left and went to visit my girlfriend, Joyce Cook. Uh, We went to see a movie and then returned to Joyce's house. I stayed at Joyce's until about 11 o'clock. When I left Joyce's house, I went back to Georgina's house and whistled for her. She came down uh, and met me in front. We walked down to Hammersmith Broadway and towards Knightsbridge. It was windy and we stopped in a doorway and decided to stop a cab. Mm, Whose cab? George's cab. Uh, A cab went by and Georgina called a taxi. I remained in the doorway. The car stopped. It was a grey Ford sedan, which later, which I later learned to be driven by George Heath. I told Georgina to go and see how many people were in it. She went over and talked to the driver. She came back and said that it was a private hire cab and there was only one person in it. We both went over and got in the car. I sat behind the driver and she sat on my left. I told the driver to turn around and go to Kings Road. He turned the car around and drove to Kings Road past Georgina's house. I told the driver that the place I wanted to go to was just beyond the roundabout. It is it is the roundabout at the end of the Great West Road. So that is the Chiswick, uh, the Chiswick roundabout, Chiswick flyover. <sighs> uh, when we got... Oh, God, it's gone really nippy now. Uh, when we got uh, about 25 yards beyond the roundabout, I told him that this was the place... Uh, when we got to the roundabout, I took out my pistol from my right pocket. Just as the car was coming to a stop, I pulled the slide back and cocked the pistol. The pistol was a calibre forty-five U.S. Army automatic, which I'd stolen from Staff Sergeant 
Irving Sherman. Uh, it was the same pistol. It was the same pistol which I had in my pocket when I was picked up by the civilian police on Monday, the ninth of October. It is the same pistol which is now shown to me by Ro- by Robert E. Demott. Um, it was about one o'clock in the morning when we got into the car, and it must have been about one fifteen uh, when I told the driver to stop. It wasn't. It was actually nearer two thirty. Uh, actually, it was exactly two thirty when they stopped. Um, when the car stopped, I was holding my loaded and cocked pistol in front of my chest. When the car st- when the car stopped, I looked over towards Georgina. Uh, as I was looking back towards the front again, I pulled the trigger. But as I pulled the trigger, the driver, who I later learned to be George Heath, raised up and reached over the back seat to open uh, the left rear door. See, that's the part of the story that doesn't really make sense. So uh, what he's actually saying is he was looking at Georgina. He was planning to shoot through the car to scare the driver. And he'd waited for the car to stop and him to put on the handbrake. But then he was looking at Georgina and then he pulled the trigger. And then, and then he was like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that George Heath had moved. Therefore, I shot him." It's, I'm sorry, it's just, it just, it just smacks bullshit. It really does. It's, um, uh, he was reaching back with his left arm when I pulled the trigger. I intended to pull the trigger and to fire the pistol. I intended to fire it through the car, but I did not expect George Heath to raise up and open the door just as he did. When I fired the shot, I knew that I had hit him as I heard him say, Oh. As I started to get out of the car, I said, Move over. He did not move. When I opened the front door, Heath was leaning against the left door with his head down on his chin, resting sort of on his chest. His body was sort of across the car with his right foot underneath the clutch. When I got into the car, he moved his right leg out of the way and mumbled something which I didn't understand. Page four. Uh, I got in under the wheel. I told Georgina to uh, look over his wallet. After a couple of minutes, I drove away. As we were driving along, I told Georgina to take everything out of his pockets. I drove onto Staines and turned left at the police station. Uh, About a mile past the police station, I turned off the road and we went left and followed the dirt road to the left. Off the road, uh, to the left, sorry, that's where it should have ended. Um, uh, When you look at the map of it, it's a really weird place to choose. It's like uh, either he knew that place or it it just happened to be random. Um, Where he dumped the body, there was actually a house much nearer, not not the... um, the guy at uh, Stane Ash Crescent, which is uh, a couple of hundred yards away, there was there is actually a place called the White Lodge, which is there. But it, for some reason, they, they 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 don't seem to mention that in any any of the statements. Uh, a short distance down the road, we drove to the left uh, and stopped the car. Sorry, these pages bent, so I'm having to go. I'm 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 literally reading it and it's almost in kind of a slightly fat flat rainbow shape so i i go to one end of the page then i have to remember where the star is uh, a short distance down the road i drove to the left and stopped the car i got out and walked around to the rear of the car georgina got out of the right hand side and walked around to the front of the car i opened the left door and put my arms through his armpits i picked him up and pulled him out of the car His feet dropped to the ground. Georgina picked up his feet and we carried him to the ditch about three feet from the car. 
We returned to the car and I turned around and started back. I wish to state that as we were driving to the ditch uh, and Georgina was going through his pockets, I told her to look and see if he had a watch on. She looked and told me that she had found a wristwatch on his arm. Uh, as we were driving back after having disposed of the body, Georgina gave me four pounds in one pound notes, a long brown US fountain pen, a silver pencil, a small silver cigarette case, a sil silver cigarette lighter, a cigarette case and a watch. Um, these are the, the watch is the item that I see in front of me handed to me by Robert DeMott. As we were driving back, Georgina threw all of George Heath's pictures out of the window of the car. See, it's interesting that she says he did that. Um, when we got back to Hammersmith, I parked the car in the old Gelmont Cinema car park and used the, uh, uh, where I used to park the truck. We took our handkerchiefs and we wiped off all of the fingerprints and all of the parts of the car that we had touched. We stopped at the black and white cafe and got something to eat and then we went home to bed. On Saturday the 7th of October 1944, I went down to the cafe on Queen Caroline Street and saw Lem Bexley. I left the fountain pen, the pencil, the cigarette lighter and the cigarette case with Bexley to sell. Uh, the watch I sold to a barber in the barber shop next to the cafe. Sunday night, 8th of October 1944, I went to Georgina's house at about 9.30pm. We went down to the car park and picked up the car. We drove it as a hire car around the West End and parked it in an air raid, parked it near an air raid shelter near her house the next morning. Uh, I picked up the car again on Monday at about 2.15 PM and drove down to the bakery where Joyce works. I took the car to my camp near Newbury and returned to Hammersmith at about uh, 6 PM. I parked the car in Logan Avenue across the street from the door of Joyce's house. When I came out of the house at about 9pm, I got into the car. I was apprehended by civilian police. I was carrying a pistol when I was apprehended and was taken to Hammersmith Police Station. I have never broken into any pubs, jewellery shops, clothing shops or any other premises in Hammersmith or elsewhere. I did tell Georgina that I had broken into a pub and that I had been running around with a mob in Chicago. This was not true. It was just a build-up for me. Uh, final page, this final paragraph. Uh, I wish to state... Oh, no, this, this is fine. This is just that standard phrase again. It's him saying, I haven't been mistreated by the police. I haven't been beaten up. They haven't pushed my head down the toilet and tried to strangle me. Um, so that is the end of that statement. That is his, um, his second statement from the uh, 12th of October. So as you can see there, he's starting to um, reference some statements, but not everything. So the next one is his what will eventually be his final statement. That one is another eight-pager. So I'm going to split that down into two. Otherwise, our heads are going to burst. But I hope you kind of get in the, the, the kind of the process with this is that the first statement complete lies. Second statement, he's starting to agree to things, but he's only agreeing to things that he kind of knows that the police already know. So he's kind of going, if I if I admit to certain things that he knows they already know, then he'll come across better than she is because clearly she's she's lying to protect herself at all costs or just blaming him. But now we will see that he's going to start really blaming her. <sighs> let's do that thank you for listening to this folks i hope you're all enjoying this uh thank you for supporting the show and uh, i'll catch you very soon
Best wishes, lots of love. Bye bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray Five in One gives you control with five different spray patterns, so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray Five in One, only from Rustoleum. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.